My six-year-old grandson, Griffey, was asking me last week, he heard us talking about inflation. And he said, Papa, what's inflation? I said, hmm. Griffey, you know that toy you just bought at Five Below last week with the money you got when you put your tooth under the pillow and the tooth fairy left it? He said, yeah. I said, that same toy would cost you 60 today. He said, oh, I get it. Thanks, brother. And that didn't really happen. But I do love Dennis Duncan. Is he here? I love his definition of inflation. Dennis Duncan said, inflation is paying $15 for a $10 haircut that I used to get for $5 when I actually had hair. Inflation's here, man, and we're counting the cost. You know, we're pinching our pennies, looking for bargains. Angie and I are doing coupons for the first time in, I don't know, 30 years. We're, we're rolling around everything, make sure it has value before we pull the trigger. Counting the costs these days. I was talking to one of the new families in VVS last, uh, two weeks ago. We had a great VVS. Had a lot of new families coming in. And I asked one of the gals, I said, how many kids you got? She said, I got five. I said, five kids? I, that, that really cost you. She said, oh, no, we didn't buy them. We just raised them. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're counting the costs these days. People come up to you and say, man, that's a nice truck. What'd that cost you? Well, you got tickets to the Masters? I bet that set you back a pretty penny. Ooh, I love your new house. I bet that was expensive. But let me ask you something, family. When was the last time somebody came up to you and looked you in the eyes and said, you're a Christian? Wait, what'd that cost you? And if they ask you that, what would you say to them? I want to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. It's the last of the Beatitudes. And then we're going to talk about it and pray over it, okay? Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, which, by the way, is something we talk a lot about in church, righteousness, right living. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Remember that passage? Loaded, didn't it? And we've talked about it before. But before I unpack what I want to talk about this morning, let's remind ourselves of some of the things we've talked about over the years concerning the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount that followed it. What we decided years ago is these are not godly characteristics that you and I are supposed to be moving towards. This is who we already are in Christ. In the Greek, the Beatitudes read, Oh, the blessedness of being poor in spirit. Oh, the blessedness of being merciful. This is what normal should look like for Christians. The Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. We decided that God has called each of us to live in a kingdom and a lifestyle that is completely different than the kingdom and the lifestyle that we're in. And you and I both know that that gray area between the two is shrinking every day. We got a real fine line now between godly living and ungodly living. It's getting sharper all the time. It gets dull if we don't pay attention. We decided also years ago that there's a huge cost involved in living the Christian life. And I just want to remind you the cost is going up. We don't have just an economic inflation these days. We have a spiritual inflation. Living for Jesus, standing for His Word, man, it's costly these days. And we decided years ago not to just speak these words from the pulpit. We wanted to put legs on them. And what we decided was that what this means for you and I, if we're going to live as Christians, our walk has got to be different. Where we go and what we do and who we hang out with should be different. 
than the people around us. What we eat and what we drink and what we wear should be different. What we read and what we watch and what we listen to. In other words, here's point number one. The Christian walk should cost us something. It should affect everyday life in practical ways. And if it doesn't, if it's not costing you, well, then we should do what Paul said to do in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, when he says, examine yourselves. Check and see. Check and see what, Paul? Check and see if you really are in the faith. Test yourself, he says. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Now, we've taken this test together several times before, and it's okay. Everybody will be okay. We can talk about righteousness in church once in a while. won't hurt us. We, we can talk about not living righteousness in church once in a while. It won't kill us. In fact, we should talk more about it. Now, I'm, we're not saying we should be out there every day looking to become martyrs for the kingdom of God, looking for trouble. We're not saying that, okay? I'm not saying you should go out tomorrow and buy a t-shirt that says, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm not woke, and I'm not this, and I'm not that, but you are, so spank me. You know, that's just goofy. I'm not talking about that. Listen to me. You and I should not be looking for trouble as Christians, but we shouldn't be running from it either. It's time for us to stand up for the Word of God in a loving way. If we don't do it in a loving way, it won't do any good at all. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ and, and the suffering that goes with that. So that means if you and I are going to be in the middle of it, we got to learn how to not compromise and not give in to the truth. And trust me, if you're going to live the life you should be living as a Christian, you're going to find yourself in the middle of it, especially these days. One of the greatest um, preachers in the Reformation period was a guy from Italy by the name of uh, Savonarola. And he preached, man. He brought, he brought the rest Reformation movement into being. And uh, he preached about sin, and he preached about holiness. He preached about people's lives. He preached about the Roman Catholic Church and all the persecution in it. Fiery preacher, did it cost him? Yeah. Yeah, I, I love what uh, John MacArthur writes, though. He says, his preaching was a voice of thunder, and his denunciation of sin was so terrible that the people who listened to him went about the streets after his sermons, half days bewildered and speechless. Kind of like you guys after one of my sermons, right? Because you're so groggy after that nap. I know. No, anyway, he goes on. His congregations were so often in tears that the whole building resounded with sobs of their weeping. Wouldn't it be awesome to preach like that? Hear a sermon like that every now and then? Do you, do you think that kind of life cost him? MacArthur writes, the people that he spoke to and lived with couldn't handle the kind of preaching or lifestyle, so instead of repenting, they burned him at the stake. They killed him. We're living in a period right now where things in our lives and our society are upside down spiritually. And I'm talking about living for the truth of the Word of God. Not what the old church preached and not what your dad preached and your granddad preached. I'm talking about the living truth of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, if you stand up for that truth today in a loving way, it's going to cost you. They're going to be tweeting against you. They're going to be posting against you. They're going to be talking behind your back. It's going to be a mess. It's going to cost you. Might not kill you yet, but it's going to cost you. Our Christian walk ought to be obvious to everyone around us, and it ought to cost us something. And if it's not costing you anything right now, you might want to take the test. 
Here's point number two, which is found in this scripture, but it's found throughout the whole Bible, and that is the promise of hope, which is big. Praise God for that. The promise of hope is huge. Because again, it doesn't hurt us to talk about righteousness, and it doesn't hurt us to talk about how far we are from righteousness, as long as we can wash it down with a big old glass of hope. Because hope is huge. Hope is what gets us through everything. You know what I'm talking about? When Paul talks to the Roman church about hope in Romans chapter 18, or chapter 8, verse 18, he, he says this about hope. It's in this hope that we're saved. The hope that you and I get with this reward going through some little persecution. You know what I'm talking about? They're not feeding us to lions yet. They're just talking bad about us. The hope that gets you and I into that, that gets us into the joy of salvation, is this hope that Jesus is talking about next. Okay, I'm going to settle down for a minute. I got myself all worked up. I'm changed, let me change gears for a minute. Last week, I was kind of cleaning out the, the closet over there. And some of it's 34 years of accumulation. There was some junk in there, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm cleaning out my office, and I found a whole big thing of board games. And so I'm bringing them over to give to Mark and the student ministry. And I get this, I'm walking through, across the parking lot, and there was a Scrabble board on top, and I tripped and fell, and that Scrabble board hit the ground. It's all over the pavement out there. And the letters are everywhere. And Jackie, who's always so good to me, she comes up and looks down and sees that. She says, so what's the word on this street? Yeah, she's hilarious, right? You know what I mean? So, so anyway, I took that board home with me, and I thought, oh, I don't have a Scrabble board. I'm going to take it home. So I took it home, and no kidding, I tripped going into the house and dropped those letters on the floor. Well, uh, Ma, she's watching Christy's uh, dog, a big Weimer, and he's eating a bunch of these letters before I can get to him. So he eats a bunch of them. And, and then later on that night, he left little messages all over the yeah, the Scrabble game, it's, it's all fun and games until somebody loses an eye. <laughs> anyway, I got mine out, and I got the letters right off the bat, R-B-L-T-U-L-E, and I thought right then, this could spell trouble. See, here's the deal, that you guys would laugh at at least one of those was hope. Okay, it was the strength of the hope in that that made me tell those jokes. Listen, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 reads, Hope deferred makes a heart sick, but when dreams come true at last, there's life and joy. Listen to me, joy is what dreams are made of. Hope is what dreams are made of. And if you and I are going to walk the talk of Christianity in a loving way against all the garbage that's going on out there, even in, the, even in Disney, for heaven's sakes, we're going to have to stand up and speak the truth, and we're going to have to do it in love, and we're going to have to rely on this hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into, listen to this, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. No, sir, it's kept in heaven for you. It's kept in heaven for you. This hope that what you and I have coming next is what gives us the strength and energy to say, blessed are you, South Union Christian Church, that you're standing up to the truth of God against everything that's going on around us because great is your reward in heaven. Two big, powerful words in that same sentence, and we love the concept of both of them. Reward? Yeah, I like that. Heaven? Blessed are you when you stand up with my word because your reward is great to have. Paul was explaining this to the church at Rome several years later in Romans 8, chapter 18. So I give you uh, 824 the first time. He said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us in heaven. 
In other words, anything you think you might be given up in this life to live like you should for Christ doesn't even compare to what you're going to get when you get to heaven. Let's talk about heaven for just a minute. Anybody else in here besides me think heaven's going to be a cool place? Yeah, me too. I want to tell you something about Angie if you didn't know this. Angie, when it comes to cookies and cakes and pies and candy and stuff, she is a collector of recipes. You've never seen such a collection of recipes. I mean, she's got stuff from Alaska and stuff from Hawaii and stuff from the hills of Kentucky, and she's got stuff off the internet and stuff from her mom and my mom and grandmas and friends. And and I know some of you are thinking, how in the world does Angie find time to bake and cook? I didn't say anything about baking and cooking. I said she collects recipes, okay? No, no, I'm just kidding around. What she'll do sometimes, and I love it when she does this, and hopefully she's taking it, she'll pull something out of one of those recipes and show it to me and say, look at that, and I'll say, man, that looks good. And she'll say, I'm going to make that. And I get so excited. Because as picky as I am about food, I'm like Eric Gilpin, that's how unpicky I am about sweets. Him and I think sweets are a gift from God that I'll be eating with great delight. With the exception of sweet potatoes, that's from the pit, you know what I mean? But when Angie, when Angie makes uh, something like that, I'm so excited because I don't even know what she's making, but I know Angie, Angie knows me, she knows what I like, and it's going to be good. That's how I feel about heaven. The Bible didn't say a whole lot about heaven, and I don't really know what's cooking up there, but I know God, and God knows me, and I know whatever he's got for me is going to be amazing, and I can't wait. Max Lucado writes, for, for all we don't know about the next life, this much is certain. The day Christ comes will be a day of reward. Those who went unknown earth will be known in heaven. Those who never heard the cheers of men will hear the cheers of angels. Those who miss the blessings of the Father on earth will hear the blessings of their heavenly Father. The small will be great, the forgotten will be remembered, the unnoticed will be crowned, and the faithful will be honored. It's going to be neat. It's going to be amazing. Now, I know, I know things are ugly right now. We don't have to talk about it every week, but it's ugly. The Middle East is on fire again. They're talking about the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. I've not heard those words in a long time. The, the economy is about ready to collapse around us. I don't know what this mess is with China and Taiwan and the United States. I don't know if it's real or if it's one of these, watch this hand while we do something. I don't know. I just know things are a mess. But I want to remind you something, family of God, these are exciting times to be alive. <laughs> Prophecies are being filled just left and right. Exciting, spooky times, but exciting. And we need to remind ourselves when we look at the paper and turn on Fox News that our God's not out to lunch. He's not on vacation. Our God is sitting on his throne right now. He's in complete control of everything that's going on. Our God reigns. And one of these days, according to his perfect time and his perfect will, he's going to invade history one more time. And when he does, the same God that emptied the tomb 2,000 years ago is going to come down here and break the curse of sin. And when he does, he's taken all of us with him who belong to Jesus Christ into a place that you can't imagine where Revelation 21 says there's no tears and no crying and no pain and no death. And blessed are you, Jesus says when you're persecuted for my name's sake, because great will be your reward in heaven. Man, it's going to be something else. We're going to get a crown of life. Did you know that? James chapter 1, verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I mean, think about that for a minute. Heaven's going to be awesome, not just because of the things that will be there, but because of things that won't be there. There'll be no death. Are you kidding me? 
no sickness, no pain. Bill Strother called me last week. I was telling Eric yesterday, not seen him for a year. My buddy from way back went to grade school, kindergarten, high school, college. Now he's in the ministry. He said, hey, Kane, you still run three miles seven days a week? I said, well, it's more like three to four days a week, but I'm still running. He said, you're trying to live forever? I said, no, I got that covered. I just want to feel good while I'm here. But we got to laughing about that. We do that, don't we? All of us trying to cheat death. You know, we work out, we take pills, we, we stay away from fried food, you know, say no to the pie. Why are we doing that? So we can live longer, you know? Well, guess what? In heaven, you don't have to worry about that nonsense. You can have two pieces of pie with ice cream, you know what I mean? This, this crown of life is going to be so amazing. You won't have to worry about your kids. No pain in heaven. Everything will be fine. You, you uh, don't have to worry about losing your hair. Everybody have a full head of hair in heaven. You know what I mean? You don't have to worry about your money. You won't have to worry about your stuff. You won't have to sit up late at night when your spouse is out because it's raining and dark and you're thinking maybe they had a car accident. You don't have to worry about that in heaven. I don't know if there'll even be any cars in heaven. If there are, there won't be any crashes. And if there are cars and crashes, nobody will get hurt. You know what I mean? You get, I mean, you get the picture. The world we're living in right now is not crowned with life. It's crowned with death. The next one is going to be different, praise God. Jesus told the church of Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, you be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. And he's just made us the same promise right here. <laughs> Neat. Secondly, we get the crown of righteousness. And I don't know about you, I can't wait for this one. I was just praying about this one on the way to church this morning. I'm tired of sinning. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will, what do you know, award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also all those who have longed for his appearing. What's keeping us from wearing a crown of righteousness right now? Sin. I'm sick of it. I mean, not, not only would I like to go one whole day without sinning, I'd like to make it through an hour You know what I'm talking about? I can't wait till that's gone. Well, logically work this out. If we can't have a a crown of righteousness now, but we will have in heaven, what's going to be missing in heaven? Sin is. Steve Lawson writes, in the New Jerusalem, there'll be no hospitals, no abortion clinics, no divorce courts, no brothels, no bankruptcy courts, no psychiatric wards or treatment centers. Meadows are closed down. There'll be no pornography, no teen suicides, no AIDS, no cancer, no talk shows, praise God, no rape, no Amber Alerts because of missing children, no drugs, no drive-by shootings, no racial tensions, no prejudice, there won't be any misunderstandings, no injustice, let me add a couple, there won't be any COVID, there won't be any monkeypox, and there won't be any cats, praise God, you know what I mean? Because there won't be any sin in heaven. We will wear the crown of righteousness along with the crown of life, are you kidding me? And then one more, we get the crown of glory. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. No, I'm not, First Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I, don't even, I can't even begin to, I don't know what that looks like. I was trying to come up with some illustrations for the sermon. I have no idea what to say. What's a crown of glory even look like? We talk about the glory of God all the time. I, I, we can't describe that. We're going to get a crown of that. But it gets even better than that. You say, hey, how's it better than that? Listen to this. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul writes, at that time, each will receive his grace from God. 
Nobody gets left out in the kingdom of God. And listen to me, God's not going to delegate that to Gabriel or Michael or Moses or David or anybody else. One by one, the God of the universe is going to look each one of us in the eye and we're going to receive grace and he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. But we don't have to wait to die to get it. I've said for years, I don't mind dying because I know what's coming. I don't want to be there when it happens, but I don't mind dying, you know what I mean? But we don't have to wait to get that. Peter said to Jesus in Mark 10, 28, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. In other words, forget about the persecution. We left it all. And remember what Jesus said? He said, I tell you the truth, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me. And the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this life and in the next one life to come. That's why we are not going to back down. We are not going to give in. We're not going to cave to everything that's going on around us, even if it costs us a little bit. We're not going to be short-sighted. So what if we lose some money? Look around you, family. There's some money in here. We'll take care of you. So what if you lose some friends? Behold the family of God. So what if it costs you some family? This is your family. They'll come back around. It's time to stand up. I mean, I'm serious. We got we to quit giving in to everything around us so we can fit in and everybody loves us and we can just all get along. We got to stand on the truth of God because the world needs the truth of God. Remember what Jeremy taught us last week from the movies? I love that because I love that movie. That was such a good movie. He's everything we want. He's everything we need. Everybody in here knows that. Guess who doesn't? The world. And they're not going to know it if we cave into everything they're telling us. Lovingly. Courageously. We got to stand for the truth of Jesus Christ like we never have before. Will it cost you? You better believe it. But blessed are you who are persecuted for my name's sake because great is your reward in heaven. Look what it cost him. A broken body and a shed blood. Thank you, Jesus. We're all in. We all are so sorry when we forget that. We're so sorry, Lord, in our effort to get along with everybody so that we can win them. We end up having them win us. We're not doing that, Lord. We're going to stand for the truth because the truth is what sets us free and gives us eternal life. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for the family that belongs to us because of you.